you'd like to follow along with the sermon this morning, there is an outline printed in the bulletin that you can find uh, as one of the inserts. And we are continuing our study in the Gospel of Mark. And in the Gospel of Mark, we are looking at who is Jesus? Because who is Jesus is one of the fundamental questions of the entire world. Does Jesus matter? If he does, well, then we should probably listen to him. If not, well, then he's no different than Winnie the Pooh or some other fictional character that doesn't really matter. Maybe you can model yourself after him like a great teacher of old, but really, who is Jesus? How do we approach him? And what is our relationship like with him? Well, today we're going to see a passage where some unlikely things happen that show us that the posture we have as we go to God is one of humble boldness. And that seems to be confusing, almost like an oxymoron. How can you have humble boldness? But I think in our passage today, we see that is what we are to come to God with. So let us look at the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7. We've been going through the the Gospel, and we are halfway through chapter 7. So we'll be reading Mark 7, verses 24 through 37. Hear the word of the Lord. And from there, Jesus arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, Let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us your word. That you do not leave us in the darkness trying to figure out truth in our day. You do not make us have to climb some staircase to find you. You do not make us meditate to search for you inside of ourselves. You have come to us and have spoken to us. 
And Lord, we thank you for your word. May you bless your word this day. May I share it faithfully. May the truth be heard. May deaf ears be opened to hear the truth of your word. And may our hearts be changed through the power of your spirit and the word. And all of this to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, today, as we're talking about this humble boldness and looking at this passage, the big idea is that the gospel gives us this humble boldness as we come to God and then join him in his work. So that humble boldness is both when we come to God and then are sent by him to join him in his work. And so we're first going to look at an example of humble boldness and then how God inspires both our humility and our boldness. So first, the example. Our passage starts with Jesus trying to get away from the crowds, and he seems to be trying to do this all the time. But this time, he travels farther than he ever has before, going to the Gentile regions of Tyre and Sidon, some 30 miles northwest of the Sea of Galilee. So it's pretty far away, especially without a car or a plane, maybe a donkey, I don't know. Presumably, Jesus was trying to find some kind of solitude in this predominantly Gentile region that maybe a Jewish rabbi wouldn't be noticed. Well, that was not the case. A woman comes to Jesus with a problem that her daughter is possessed by an unclean spirit. So the woman hears about Jesus' arrival in their area. She seeks him out, falls down before him, and asks him to help her. And kind, compassionate, equality advocate Jesus rushes to her aid. Not at all. That's not what happened. Jesus insults the woman. He says to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. He is calling the woman a dog in this passage. To Jewish people in that time period, dogs were unclean nuisances. They were bigger yet cuter rats. They were not fun pets to have. They were unclean. And that's what he calls this woman. This woman who is just asking for the same kind of help that he had given to so many other people. So why does Jesus do this? Why would he insult her instead of help her? Well, we see from the rest of the passage that though on the surface it is very much an insult, it wasn't only an insult. Hidden in that insult is a parable. And in that parable, there is an invitation. See, this woman was a Gentile. She was not one of God's chosen people, the Israelites. And in this parable, Jesus is saying that he has come to save the Jewish people, the children of God. And the Gentiles must wait. But then something truly unexpected happens. For the first time in the Gospel of Mark, we see that someone understands Jesus' parable and then responds to him from within that parable. See, most of the crowds just walked away confused, like, man, what did he just say? Like, did you get that? No, I didn't get that either. And this woman instantly gets it and responds to Jesus. She knew he was talking about Jews and Gentiles, and she points out that even the dogs happily gobble up the crumbs that kids leave. 
We do not have a dog in our house. So we have a lot of crumbs if anyone wants to send a dog over. Not for good, just temporarily after every meal. See, she wanted crumbs. She knew crumbs are left. And she knew dogs don't care. Just give us something. Give us some of the crumbs if there's any crumbs to be had. And so in her response, we see the humble boldness that the gospel gives. We see that she understands her place in humility. Yet she also understands God's character in boldness. You can imagine this conversation going differently a few different ways. Imagine Jesus calls this woman a dog and she responds, How dare you call me a dog? Doesn't seem that far-fetched at all. She would have been angry at Jesus for insulting her, thinking he should have been nicer. How, you know what? She is a pretty good person. And most importantly, she is not a dog. Now, that's one instance. You could imagine another scenario where Jesus calls this woman a dog and she responds, you're right. I'm worthless. And she walks away, knowing that a holy man like Jesus would never help a Gentile like her, that she didn't deserve it, that what had a dog like her ever done to deserve the love of God? And those two responses touch on errors that we can make as we approach God. In the first instance, we can think too much of ourselves. We can feel entitled to things, deserving of God's love, that if we are a dog, then we are a fancy poodle from the Westminster Dog Show. That's the kind of dog we are. But that's not humility. That is a pride in ourselves. In the second instance, we can think too little of ourselves, which is a false humility. We dwell on our unworthiness. We think we aren't worth loving, and we define ourselves by our worst attributes. But there's, there's a kind of pride in hating yourself that much. We take a little bit of secret joy in that. But this woman shows us a different way. Rather than think too much or too little of herself, she focuses on something else, and that's God's promises. The woman knew she was a sinner. She knew she was an unclean Gentile asking a holy Jewish rabbi for help. But she wasn't focused on herself. She was focused on God and his character and his promises. She knew that Jesus had helped outsiders before, and we've read that in the Gospel of Mark. She might have even known that God's promised Messiah would come not just to save the Jewish people, but would be a blessing to all nations. So she boldly held on to God and his promises instead of holding on to her own entitlement or feeling defeated and thinking God would never love me. And that shows true humility. C.S. Lewis wrote this, True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. See, the woman lets this insult roll off of her because she knew she was a sinner. She knew she didn't deserve God's grace, but she knew God was gracious, even to sinners like her. And that made her bold enough to respond to Jesus as she did. And Jesus clearly was pleased by her response, and he healed her daughter, casting out that demon. And it is a sign that that posture of humble boldness is what God desires in people when they come to him. 
And we see from the rest of this passage that that's not just what God wants, but that is what God creates, what he inspires in us. And so we see he inspires that humility and boldness. So we see the humility, especially in that next passage, verses 31 through 36, that Jesus comes back from that Gentile region, back to around the home base in the Sea of Galilee. And he's in mixed company again, Jews and Gentiles. And we see another person in need. The man is deaf. And he also had great difficulty speaking clearly, probably because he was deaf. So people ask Jesus to heal this man. But then something really odd happens. Jesus starts touching the guy. Like he sticks his fingers in his ears and spits and touches his tongue. It's like a witch doctor routine. And that's especially weird in light of what just happened to the woman and her daughter. The Gentile woman's daughter was healed of her demon from a great distance. And Jesus didn't even say, uh, demon, be gone. He just said, it is gone. And from however far away she was, he wasn't even in her proximity, and the demon is gone. So Jesus clearly has the power to heal without touching. So why get all up in this guy? Why do this? Why create this kind of weird, intimate, gross relationship with this man? Well, Jesus is helping the deaf man in a way he will understand. This man couldn't hear anything Jesus said. He couldn't hear anything his friends told him about Jesus. He might not have even really known who Jesus was or why he was there. And so when Jesus pulls him aside from the crowd, he's probably like, what's going on? What is happening? And then Jesus uses essentially sign language to communicate what's about to happen. Touching his deaf ears, touching his tongue that does not speak. And then Jesus looks up to heaven, signaling God's involvement as the source of the healing. And then it says Jesus sighs. And the word there for sighs can mean sigh or groan. And so from our New Testament reading today in Romans 8, we read about how creation groans for its redemption to be brought out from the bondage of sin, the brokenness that is in the world. And so Jesus is groaning with this man, empathizing with the fact that sin has created these situations where there are people who are deaf, where there are people who are cast out and cannot hear the good news of the gospel. And he shows, I want this to go away. In this healing, Jesus shows great humility. He needed to speak on the level of this man. He was not concerned that he delivered a beautiful sermon that many people could hear and then say, great job, Jesus. He was not concerned about, all right, be healed, and then getting on his way so he could go finally take a rest. He said, what does this man need? This one individual man. And how can I communicate it clearly? Even if it involves touching the guy's tongue. How can I do this? You see, that's the kind of humble attitude we see again and again from Jesus. And in fact, we're about to celebrate the humility of Jesus at Christmas. At Christmas, we celebrate the incarnation, which is a fancy word for becoming flesh. God took on human flesh, but he did not become a great warrior 
or a beautiful supermodel. He became a baby, a helpless baby. The Son of God left his position in heaven where he was worshipped and glorified by the angels to come to earth and then drool on himself. That's humbling, I would think. Yet he did it all out of the humble desire that people would know God and how to be right with them. The Apostle Paul writes about this humility in Philippians 2, saying, Though he, that is Jesus, was in the form of God, He did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. See, Jesus did not think of his rights even though he was God. He was the king of heaven. He thought more of the purposes and promises of God, and he emptied himself. He gave up those things that were comfortable, those things he was entitled to, those things that were his right in order to love us. And in that love and humility, we see his death on the cross, the greatest example. He suffered the most humiliating death, worse than any dog would ever deserve. And he did so in our place so that we might be treated as God's own children, receiving the bread from his table. The humility of Christ should humble us because Jesus died for our sins, for our unworthiness. So he groans not only as a fellow human, but he groans as our sacrifice, feeling the wrath of God that was meant for us. It's a humbling thing to see that the Son of God would do that for us. That he's willing to humble himself to the extent that he would set aside his rights just for us. That we would be called children of God. And so this incredible fact should cause us to be willing to think less of ourselves if he has done it. Giving up our rights, serving others in humility, knowing that God himself has done that for us. But God just doesn't make us humble. He doesn't only inspire our humility. He is the source of our boldness as well. And Mark leaves clues of this in the passage, clues that we can skip over if we're reading just a little too quickly. In verse 37, we read about the astonishment of the people when they saw that Jesus healed this deaf man. And they're recorded as saying this, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Now, that's... True, he did make the deaf hear, but that's also an allusion to the Old Testament. It is a hope of the Messiah that we found in our Old Testament reading from Isaiah 35. We see that in a fuller picture there. The prophet Isaiah looks forward to the day when the desert will bloom, when the weak will be made strong, when the blind will see, when the deaf will hear, and there will be no predators, for God is with his people. It's a beautiful picture of everything going right in the world, a return to the Garden of Eden. It's a picture of God's kingdom fully present in the world. And so this healing of the man is a glimpse of the coming of the kingdom of God. It is the dawning of a new age, yet it's only a glimpse. It's only the humble beginning of the kingdom 
Mark knew this when he wrote the gospel. You see, Mark was writing 20 or 30 years after the ministry of Jesus. And so people in that time, 20 or 30 years after Jesus, were wrestling with the fact that, yeah, the Messiah came, but man, the world is still pretty bad. There's a lot of wrong still here. Jesus left before the kingdom was fully in place. So why do we only get a glimpse of the kingdom instead of the full thing right away? Here's where that crazy boldness comes in. That God, in his infinite wisdom, has chosen humble sinners like us to be bold witnesses for Jesus, spreading the gospel and bringing the kingdom of God to this world. The world is groaning for the fulfillment of the kingdom. And Jesus has called people like us to bring the kingdom through obeying him. See, before ascending into heaven, Jesus gathered his disciples and commissioned them, charged them to go do this. In the famous words from the end of the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, obey, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth, and he commissions us to be his ambassadors. Not the angels, not the superheroes, not some super class of Christians, just us are the ambassadors. And as his ambassadors, we are to go with humble boldness. Bold because he has commissioned us. Humble because we're like, you commissioned us? And that is held in tension as we seek to help people know Christ. And so like Jesus with the deaf man in our passage, we are called to share the good news about Jesus in a way that people can understand. This involves understanding who we are talking to. You see, Jesus saw the deaf man and figured out a way to communicate to him, a way that man could understand. And in the same way, as the witnesses for Jesus, we are called to find ways to make the gospel message understandable to people around us. Not to dilute it, not to change what it is, but just to help them understand. That's why we have a children's message See, children is one of the best examples of how we have to change the message in the slightest way so they can understand. It isn't lost. It is still the truth. But how are they going to understand? You cannot preach to children the same way you preach to as adults. And even further, you need to tell children about Jesus differently when they're preschoolers, when they're 10, when they're high schoolers. You need to help them understand the gospel. But it's not just for people of different ages. It's also for people in different places in their lives, different beliefs about themselves. Maybe you're talking to someone who thinks they're a good person, the kind of person who if Jesus called them a dog, they would get really mad. Well, you need to tell them about Jesus in a slightly different way than someone who is so self-deprecating that they can't even imagine 
God loving them. Jesus may have done that for other people, but not for me. And so the gospel message can be shared in its truth in different ways so that people can understand. The message remains the same, that Jesus is the only one who can make us right with God because of the sin that separates us from God. And we boldly proclaim that as we have been called to do, but we also know we need to humble ourselves, that it's not one message fits all. That people over here might need to hear it differently than people over here. That we need to humbly listen. Humbly understand those around us. And say, huh, can I tell you about Jesus? And think of how that person might need to hear the gospel. And so we've been empowered to be bold with our witness. But we've also been shown the way of humility. That we need to understand those we speak to. So as we reflect on this passage this morning, I want us to see humble boldness is not an oxymoron. It is not something we can't do together, but it is the very posture the gospel gives us. It's the posture we take as we approach God, humbly knowing that we are sinners, yet boldly coming, knowing God has promised Jesus Christ can save us. It is the posture we take as God's witnesses in the world, humbly knowing we need to respect and understand all sorts of different people around us, but boldly proclaiming the one truth about Jesus Christ to all nations. So we need to let go of any sense of entitlement in ourselves. Do not be offended when the scriptures show you your sin, for we are all sinners deserving of God's wrath that we have rebelled against him, that our sin was such a problem that the very Son of God had to come and suffer for it. But do not go so far as to despair, thinking you are worthless. Do not let yourself be too proud in your humility that you cannot receive love that is freely given. For even though Jesus had to die, Jesus willingly and lovingly died out of love for you. See, it delights God to save his people and to show them amazing grace. It pleases God to open our deaf ears to hear the gospel and to loosen our tongues to praise him and share that message with others. So do not think too much of yourself, but do not think too little of yourself. Instead, we set our minds and our hearts on things above, on God who has saved us, on the Savior who has come and humbled himself to save us. We trust in his promises. Trust that he not only saves us, but sends us as his bold witnesses to keep the dawn of this new age going. To continue to see glimpses of the kingdom of God here in this church, out in the community, and throughout the world as we go as the witnesses for Jesus, as he's commissioned us to do. Thank God that he has done that, that he has saved us and sent us. Let us trust the one who is with us always until the end of the age. Amen. Lord God, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you love us in spite of our sin and that in Jesus Christ we have forgiveness. Lord, we thank you that you boldly call us. It is an incredible thing that you want us to go tell others 
about Jesus. Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand those around us, those closest to us in our family, whether our children, our parents, our spouse. Help us to understand how to share with them about Jesus. Help us to understand those people around us at work, at school, within the church, in our neighborhood. Lord, help us to understand those around us in the broader world that we can share the gospel humbly knowing that we needed Jesus to save us too and we need him all the time. Lord, bless us. Bless our witness with fruitfulness that we would see glimpses of the kingdom of God here and now for the dawn has broken and throughout this world we see glimpses here and now of the glory of God ruling over this world rightly. Lord, may your kingdom come and your will be done in us for your glory. Amen.